0: Welcome to Creepy Crime Podcast, a podcast where two friends tell each other creepy stories. I'm Allie.
1: And I'm Creighton.
0: Creighton, how's your week been?
1: Uh, it hasn't been the best, but it hasn't been the worst. I've been in a good mood all week.
0: It is only Tuesday.
1: Well, you know what? You don't have to throw that out there like that because... You're right. And the week could get worse. In fact, it has a lot of potential to get worse. But as of right now, it's a good week. How has yours been?
0: It also has potential to get better.
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely has potential to get better.
0: Mine's been very stressful for only two days so far. (laughs) That's been fun.
1: Yeah. How's the puppies? Well, the puppy, and the two cats, and the other puppy.
0: Well, the actual puppy ran herself tired at the dog park for a while today, but has decided since it is now 8 p.m. that it is time to be awake before bed. So, hopefully she won't be too disruptive.
1: Well, that's the good. The cats fine. Yeah, both, both of my park. dogs are in heat, so...
0: Again, I will say get your dogs fixed.
1: But they seem so happy. Adam
0: the same thing.
1: <laughs> oh he's just nervous. He's scared that the vet will mess something up.
0: It's a total hysterectomy. There isn't a whole lot to mess up. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I don't know what all goes into the girly bits. I did take biology, but as a gay man, I haven't really looked since. Um, Yeah, but to
0: just take them all out, you just kind of get them all. Like, you don't have to worry about snipping something or leaving something. You just take it all out.
1: True. Oh. So. Did you enjoy the story that I gave you for this week?
0: So, you tasked me with The Town Who Feared Sundown? Yes. Well, if you Google that, you find that there was a, I think, 2014 film? Uh Uh-huh. Maybe 2004. I might have written it down wrong. That's called The Town Who Dreaded Sundown. Yeah. So it's not Who Feared Sundown.
1: Right. Well, there's also an older movie that came out in the, I want to say the 70s.
0: Well, that one does not appear if you Google it. Huh. Also, the Spree of Murders isn't even called that. They're the Moonlight Murders.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I couldn't exactly remember what it was. I just remember that a lot of people associated it with the Zodiac. So...
0: I'm not exactly sure why.
1: Me either. But, I mean... While I was doing my research on the Zodiac, it kept popping up in some of the websites. Like, which I mean, I must say that there is a lot of people trying to find the Zodiac who also like correlate a lot of crimes that truthfully probably were not him in their search, or they try to go into like serial killers that we know about and go, well, they were really the Zodiac, and that's what happens when you have a mystery. So, would you like to get a start this week?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, do we want to just go ahead and start and not do a whole weird rambling thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're good at weird rambling, but we can start too.
0: Sounds good. So, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders were a string of attacks in 1946 with eight victims, five of which died. Oof. They weren't all murders. Just most of them were
1: So it's like the Zodiac uh, copycat in New York.
0: Yeah, but this one did better. I mean, there's a higher, well, I guess worse. There's a higher rate of death.
1: Right. He did really good for a killer. Really awful for a human.
0: And truthfully, like, one of the ones that didn't die probably should have. But we'll talk about that ah not because she was a bad person but because of all of her injuries all right she was lucky okay so these unsolved crimes were committed by the phantom killer as they were coined and the phantom killer is still unknown so maybe that's why it was showing up with the zodiac
1: and it's very possible
0: So, the first attack happened on February 22nd, 1946, around midnight. Jimmy Uh Hollis and Mary... What?
1: I I was just agreeing.
0: Ah. Jimmy Hollis and Mary Alarney were in their car visiting Lover's Lane when a man with a pillowcase over his face, eye holes cut out, ordered them out of the car. Jimmy was then ordered to take off his pants, and hit twice, fracturing his skull with a gun. Hmm. Apparently it was so loud that Mary thought he had been shot.
1: Uh, Now, I'm not gonna lie, this right here, like, just from the start-off description, does actually sound like the Zodiac.
0: So, Mary was hit with an object, a blunt object, throwing her to the ground. She was ordered to get up and then to run. She stopped in an abandoned car. The attacker then caught up and asked her why she ran. And she was like, because she told me to. <laughs> and then was sec- sexually assaulted with the gun. Oh. I wasn't really told what all happened. That's all it literally said.
1: Well, you know so what? Again, I think that the word sexually assaulted is... Uh... Descriptive enough for our purposes here.
0: Yes, that is. So, once again free, she ran to a house and got the owners to call the police. At this point, Jimmy had gained consciousness, because guess what? He wasn't dead. Um, and flagged down a car whose driver stopped, at the, <laughs> who did not pick him up, left him there... But drove to a funeral home to also call the police.
1: I mean, good for them for not picking up a stranger, I guess.
0: This dude's bleeding from his head from a fractured skull. Yes. Okay. The police (laughs) questioned Jimmy and Mary many times as the police thought they knew their attacker and were covering for them. Specifically, Mary. They continued to question, thinking that she was lying, that she did not know who her attacker was.
1: Why did they think she was lying?
0: Because they think that they were friends with the attacker and that they were covering for them.
1: Uh, Um, alright, that's an odd friendship, but you do you, boo.
0: Exactly. There was a little bit of difference was, um... Mary thought that she could see that it was a white male.
1: Yeah, like around the eye holes.
0: Yeah, while um, Jimmy was saying that it was a black male. Hmm. But they both said male and they both said six foot, so. Also, it was like around midnight, so.
1: Dark, hard to see.
0: So the next attack happened Saturday, March, but they both survived. They were good. The next attack happened Saturday, March... Oh, and they all happened on the weekends, by the way. Oh.
1: Yeah. So, Saturday,
0: March 23rd, 1946, Richard Griffin and Polly Moore were found dead in Richard's car the morning of March 24th by a passerby. They were found dead on on a, I think, different lover's lane. Yeah. They had been placed in the car, appearing asleep, but evidence showed Polly was. Polly and actually Richard were killed outside the car and then put back in the car.
1: Were they beat to death, like with the Blunt Force object?
0: They were both shot in the back of the head. Huh. They think the gun was a Colt pistol wrapped in a blanket. Within four days, the police and FBI had interviewed between 50 and 60 people who were potential witnesses. Then within seven days, a $500 reward was placed for any information, but nothing useful was learned. Hmm. So the next murders occurred April 14, 1946. Paul Martin picked up Betty Booker from her weekly gig where she played the alto saxophone. In the early hours of the morning, Paul's body was found by a local family around 6.30 a.m. Paul had been shot four times and blood trailed along the fence line.
1: Were they out on a lover's lane or?
0: Not that we know of.
1: Okay, so they may have just been walking from somewhere.
0: Well, he in a car. They were in a car originally. Okay. He picked her up in a car to take her home from her gig.
1: Huh. But what about her?
0: Betty's body was found around 11.30 a.m. by the search party two miles away from Paul. Mm. She had been shot twice.
1: Now, were any of the women shown to have been, like sexually abused or anything like that like the first one?
0: No, so in the last um Richard and Polly and then Paul and Betty were all fully closed. Huh. So the same gun was used in this double murder as the one previous. A 32 Colt pistol. Paul's car was found a half a mile away from his body and three miles away from Betty's.
1: Huh. So, it sounds more like another one of those run situations.
0: Yeah, but I feel like Paul would make it further than Betty, and Betty made it three miles.
1: Well, that depends on whether or not he was taking care of Paul first.
0: No, that's true. So... Now the reward was up to $1700. So the last attacks happened on May 3rd, 1946. These ones are different. The victims are a good bit older. Um than the rest. The rest were in like their like mid to late teens. Yeah. These ones are in their 30s.
1: So There's no age discrimination, really.
0: Well, literally, all of the rest were in their like mid to late teens, except for this one.
1: That's odd. Normally, they don't break.
0: Also, this one was not in a car.
1: Oh, was this like what was going on with this one that was different than the car ones?
0: So, Mr. Starks was sitting in his living room reading the paper while his wife lay in bed. Mrs. Starks heard something outside and called for her husband to check. Then heard glass breaking. She got up to help clean up whatever had broken, only to find that her husband had been shot twice in the head, through the window, killing him.
1: So this was more like, that was almost like an assassination, more than... A, uh,
0: but how do you take, like, a pistol and shoot it through the window?
1: That is a good question.
0: So Mrs. Starnes, or Starks, sorry, Starks, was then shot twice in the face while trying to call the police. So, she so like,
1: she was well, on the phone?
0: She, she got to the rotary and got started to call when she got shot in the face. So then she stumbled to try to get to the bedroom so that she could leave a note saying what had happened. Yeah. She starts seeing the attacker trying to get into the house. So she like stumbles out the door and makes it to a neighbor's house, which they're farmers, so it's probably a good distance.
1: Yeah, it's a good country mile, as we'd say around here.
0: Well guess what? Her sister wasn't home, so then she stumbles to the next neighbor.
1: Good God.
0: So she gets to the second neighbor. The second neighbor pulls out a shotgun, shoots into the air to warn another neighbor, who drives his car over to figure out what's going on. They put Mrs. Starks in the car and drive her straight to the hospital.
1: I I love that country warning system there. Just fire your gun into the air and somebody will come. <laughs>
0: Well, so then, she's missed, like, she's lost a lot of blood, and she's missing a bunch of teeth, because it literally, like, went through her jaw. Ew. But she survived.
1: Is that the one that you said should have died? Yeah. Ah. Ew.
0: So that was our eight victims and five murders. So we'll go through kind of the suspects. There really isn't much. So in the first case, the Jimmy and, oh, what was her name? Jimmy and Mary, there are no suspects, were questioned. Because again, they thought that the people knew them. In the second case, which was the first murder, who was Richard and Polly, over 200 people were questioned, and many leads followed. Three people were deemed suspects, but all were eventually cleared.
1: So, nowhere is where they got.
0: Yep. So in Paul and Betty's case, a taxi driver was a main suspect for a while. Yeah. Which would make sense with you know um, Paul's car being left so far away right but he was then cleared then a man trying to sell a saxophone which remember Betty was playing the saxophone that night and they hadn't found it so a man trying to sell a saxophone in a neighboring town at a music store. Was acting very strange when the clerk told him, oh, let me go get the manager. He freaked out and ran out the door. So they called the police.
1: So like a man tried to sell the saxophone?
0: Sell a saxophone.
1: Oh, so... so we're
0: assuming it was Betty's. Because he was acting very strange about it.
1: Yeah, and they don't have any leads of who the man was?
0: So they caught up to him. Uh-huh questioned him for a long time and then released him saying he he didn't do it and then they like six months after the murders found Betty's saxophone near where her body was found oof I think it was placed there I think that they probably should have done a little bit more searching into this guy but you know yeah in the Starks People were questioned, but nothing really came of it. So, you know.
1: Like, did they find out, like, A, where he got the saxophone, or B, why he was acting so weird?
0: If they did, they didn't say in the article that I read.
1: Huh.
0: But this comes to the prime suspect that ever happened. So they go into more detail about this in the Wikipedia article, but I did not because I'd already gone through like three pages. So. Yeah. The prime suspect was a car thief, U.L. Swinney. Yuel and his wife Peggy were arrested separately for car theft. So, Peggy was caught um, getting into a um, stolen car. And so the police officer stopped her and was like, what are you doing, da 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 da. And she ratted out her husband saying he was in a neighboring city with another stolen car. And so they went to go arrest him. Then Betty started talking to, and I'm not exactly sure why, but she started saying that UL was the phantom killer, the guy who had done all these murders. Yeah. The details in her story kind of changed a little bit as they went, but she did tell them where some evidence was, and they found it. It was where she said it was. Hmm.
1: Like evidence to connect him to the murders, or...
0: Yeah, kinda.
1: But That's at the weird.
0: time of nineteen forty six, there wasn't the act of David. So she couldn't testify against her husband. And she was the only lead they had and the only way to convict him. <laughs>
1: So, like, it would have been wife testifying against husband, which you can't force a wife to testify against her husband in court.
0: Well, and at this time, like, in the, I guess, 46, it wasn't even allowed. Like, there wasn't even a way for her to testify against him. It was illegal. Yeah. So.
1: Well, it's always illegal to force a wife to testify against her husband in court. Unless oh, the no, wife was has-
0: forcing, there was literally no way for her to, if she wanted to, even.
1: Oh, so it hadn't been determined by the Supreme Court that women could testify against their husbands or husbands against their wives yet. Yes. Ah.
0: So, you know, you all could have been the murderer. He might not have been. No one's really sure. It was in the 40s. I don't think it was the Zodiac.
1: No, I mean, it's probably not. I think that the real connection to it is A, everybody was kind of grasping at straws for both of these cases, really, since nobody knows. And B, I think it's more the Lover's Lane murders that reminded them of the Zodiac more than anything.
0: Yeah, and I'm still trying to figure out how they connected some of them, other than them being around the same time and the same town. Because, like... Especially the last one was so different.
1: Yeah, like... And also, it may... I mean, it's very possible that not all the murders were actually connected.
0: I don't know. But that is the... Texarkana Moonlight Murders.
1: I'm not gonna lie, that right there is less epic than I thought it was. From all the connections I found in my zodiac research, or well, not the connections, you but asked
0: me like, was it a good one? I was like, yeah, but it wasn't like
1: zodiac good.
0: Yeah, and then also apparently the town who dreaded sundown. Is loosely based on it, so maybe we should watch that sometime. But I don't know Ooh. where to watch
1: it on. I don't know. We'll have to find it somewhere.
0: Yeah, because maybe we'd uh, um, think it was more epic once we did that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, is that all you have for yours?
0: Yes, that is all I have.
1: Um. Well. I will say that mine was actually well it got me thinking about mine because I've known about it for a while. I learned about it mm, I think high school and it happened like, like family murders. No 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 no. but it, it's like from our childhood mm-hmm. uh, from America's childhood really. And I think that a lot of kids born in the 80s and probably early 90s can connect to it and I actually got it. Uh, from a text message I sent you the other day.
0: Ooh, what you send me the other day?
1: All right. So I think all children love cartoons growing up. I think that's just one of the things. And me and Adam have been reliving some of our favorite cartoons from when we were younger lately. Mainly uh, Naruto and uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. And now we're watching we're one watching of. Watching Scooby Doo. Oh, I love Scooby-Doo. Like, I'll watch it all the time. Especially Scooby-Doo Visits Zombie Island. And oh, I'm not going to lie. This one actually ruined one of my favorite uh, childhood movies. And you do know about it. And you're going to hate me for doing it. But this has to do with uh, a girl named... <laughs>
0: yes, I hate you. I hate you so much.
1: Yes. So this has to do with a little girl named Judith Barsi,
0: by the way, a, he did not tell me what it was. As soon as he said that I would hate him for it, I knew exactly what he was talking about.
1: <laughs> so, I, it is a really tragic story. And it's about a girl named Judith Barcy who was only 10 years old when she was murdered by her father. And now, for a lot of people who are listening to this, who are born in the 80s and 90s, you probably don't know Judith Barcy's name. But a lot of you will probably recognize her voice as she played in several movies as an actress, like she was the youngest daughter in Jaws the Revenge. But what she's more known for is the little girl from All Dogs Go to Heaven. And from The Land Before Time, she played the voice of Ducky. Uh... Her most famous quote from it is, yep, yep, yep. Um,
0: yes, now we all hate you.
1: Yeah, no, I figured that we might. That's why I didn't tell you more about it before we recorded the episode, because I figured that you wouldn't want me to record. So. <laughs> um, i all hate you now. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm cool with that. So. Judith was born in Los Angeles, California on June the 6th of 1978. She was the daughter of Joseph, Joseph Isvan Barsi and Maria Virovats. They were both immigrants who had fled Hungary following the 1956 uprising against communism. So, uh, they immigrated at different times and they actually met in California... Where Maria, the mother, was a uh, she was a waitress, and Joseph, who was a plumbing contractor, would come in, and he would actually spend money on drinks and always pay in hundred dollar bills. So, him and Maria started talking, and Maria kind of fell for him because he was a man who could provide her comfort and stability and protection, and being immigrants. In a new country and not really knowing anyone, was very important to them. So, when her daughter was born, Maria began preparing her to become an actress. And Maria's brother told her that the odds were like ten million in one that Judith would succeed, but Maria never gave up on trying. And so, uh, when she was five. They actually went to a skating rink, to where Judith was skating, and there was a uh, commercial crew there trying to film a commercial about the skating rink. And so, when they saw her out on the ice and saw how talented she was and how graceful she was and how much fun she was, they thought that she'd be the perfect person to be in their uh, in their commercial. So, they hired her on the spot to be in the commercial. And ever since then, her acting career really started to take off. She was in over 72 commercials. She was in several different films. Uh, like the one called Fatal Vision. I thought I'd forgotten to write it down. it just at the bottom. Uh, and the real sad part is, in Fatal Vision, she actually played a young girl who was killed by her father.
0: Don't oh, no.
1: Right. And so, they say the reason that she was so popular is because she was a little bit smaller than she was supposed to be at her age. So, according to her agent, which was Ruth Hansen, even though she was 10, she was still playing roles that were like 7 or 8. So she actually had a growth problem and had to receive hormone injections at UCLA to encourage her growth. But by the time that she started fourth grade, she was earning an estimated $100,000 a year, which is what her parents, yeah, and her family used that to buy a uh, three-bedroom house in West Hills, Los Angeles. So she was technically the breadwinner of the family. So, um, her father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic. And people don't really know exactly what caused him to drink, but they said he had quite a temper. And the more that she succeeded, the angrier he seemed to get. So, he actually started physically abusing and verbally abusing both Maria and Judith at their home. And it got so bad that in December of 1986, Maria reported his threats and the physical abuse to the police. But after the police found no physical signs of abuse, they said there was really nothing they could do to prove it. And so she decided not to press charges because they couldn't win in court. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's a good question. But now after the incident with the police Joseph was said to have stopped drinking but although he had stopped drinking his temper was still there and he made various threats to Judith and some of these threats were very graphic such as he told them that he would cut their throats and burn down the house. He also reportedly hid a telegram informing Maria that a relative in Hungary had died in an attempt to prevent her from leaving the U.S. with Judith. And as the physical violence continued, uh, Judith actually told a friend their father threw pots and pans at her and that it nearly broke her nose. Caused a nosebleed. So, um, as a result of her abuse, she actually began gaining weight and she started to have disturbing behavior such as plucking out her eyelashes and pulling out her cat's whiskers to deal with the stress. That's an OCD. Yep. Uh, Symptom. And this went on for two more years after the police was reported. And so, in May of 1988, after breaking down in front of her agent, Ruth Hansen, she was taken by her mother to a a child psychiatrist who identified that there was severe physical and emotional abuse and reported her findings to Child Protective Services. Well, The investigation was dropped by Child Protective Services after Maria told them that she was intending to uh, begin divorce proceedings against her husband, and that her and Judith were going to move into a Panorama City apartment that she had rented as a daytime haven from him. So his abuse was so bad that she bought an apartment to go stay at in the daytime just to be away from him. They
0: should not be dropping charges, though, until the plans actually occur. Right. Like they
1: actually are out of there. Right. And now it's like, this is the part that kills me though. Because, you know, a lot of times we talk about stories like this to where a lot of signs were missed. Like people didn't know. Like they didn't know their neighbor next door was a psychopath or they didn't know they had such anger or whatever. But the worst part about this is literally Everybody that they come in contact knew that something like this was going on. No. So, uh, Judith actually got the role Isn't to. Is called,
0: like, bystander effect, where you always think someone else will report it?
1: I do believe so. And normally Why they do you say. The bystander, do it. Right, like, normally. Um, people say that the bystander uh, effect is really easy to break as soon as you see someone taking action. Yeah. Because it kind of kicks you into, it's not my business, to, well, somebody's cutting in, we should too. So, uh, now, her dad was uh, nicknamed Arizona Joe, and they called him that because he had once lived in Arizona, and his name is Joseph. I guess that's all you really need for a nickname. But uh, some of his friends, like a fellow plumber, said that Joseph had told him over 500 times he was going to kill his wife and that his friend would try to calm him down and I'd tell him, if you kill her, what will happen to your little one? And little one was what Joseph called Judith. And he responded with, I've got to kill her too. Like, these aren't mis-signs. These are just people not doing a damn thing.
0: Well, and how are you friends with this guy who's threatening to kill his own child?
1: Right. Like, ugh. Now, here's the part that it gets really, really bad. So him and his wife had started to have a volatile uh, relationship. Which he blamed on the fact that his wife would never forgive him for the drinking and the abuse that he had done previously. Which, I wouldn't either.
0: Yeah, but especially if you're continuing the abuse, because how can you forget something that hasn't stopped?
1: Right. So, (laughs) he was so angry at his wife that sometime during a four-day span from July the 23rd to July the 27th, Barcy actually carried out the threat that he had been making for at least five years. And he shot and killed his wife and daughter and then killed himself. Now, Judith's body was found in her canopy bed near the pink television that her father had bought her to apologize for yanking out her hair in a fit of rage. But
0: he bought it with her money.
1: Right. Well, I mean, technically he had money. He was a plumbing contractor, but she was still making more than him most of the time.
0: Oh, at that point, you know he probably wasn't even doing
1: that. Well, I mean, he was still talking to other plumbers, so he had to be doing well, something. Friend. Right. So, in an article, they quoted the police lieutenant Warren Knowles. It said that a flammable liquid, likely gasoline, had been poured on the bodies of Maria and Judith by Joseph. But then Joseph's body was found in the garage, dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now, their neighbor said that she heard a gunshot around 8.30 a.m. on July the 27th. And that's what prompted her to call the police. Right. Now after this, especially with her actually becoming an up-and-coming child star as she was, it actually called the Department of Children's Services um, to do an internal investigation. And what they found, they were very unhappy with the way that the whole case had been handled. Because, as I said before... Right. Like, they said that the the caseworkers had failed to protect the child because instead of treating the child as the client which that's what Children's Services is supposed to do regardless of who reports it, regardless of which parent is there, the child is supposed to be their main focus but they took Maria's word that she was going to divorce her husband and dropped the case which is what led to this. Um, And so they did a full internal review, and it also caused them to start looking at ways that they can help identify mental abuse and verbal abuse along with physical abuse. Because before that, they didn't really have a whole lot of guidelines to go by, especially when they said it was just their word against his. Yeah.
0: So...
1: I mean, there was a good reflective point for the child services in this, which it's really the only bright spot of this whole uh, story that they actually took some moments to do a self-reflection and figure out how they could help in the future. Um, And, like, one of the Los Angeles police officers, which was Detective Sandra Palmer who was the detective on the case, said, how do you protect somebody from threats? And she said, honestly, you can't. Because I could say I'm going to kill you, and I have the right to say it, because we have a free society to say that. And I don't have the uh, She said, but I don't have the right to actually carry it out. So...
0: Threats towards a child, though.
1: Right. So... I mean, it's one of those horrible, horrible, tragic stories where the signs weren't even missed. They were just ignored. And that's what bothers me most. So, like I said...
0: I hate you for telling this story.
1: Oh, yeah, no. I just wanted to ruin everybody's childhood as much as it ruined mine to understand... or to find out about it. So there is another thing that happened. So, like, the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven was actually not released until 1989. Which is the year after she was uh, murdered. And so, uh, the director of All Dogs Go to Heaven is the same one who had worked with her in The Land Before Time. And he gave her a full uh like closing credits tribute in the song "Love Survives," that was dedicated in her memory at the end of the movie, because they still had her voice in it, because she is the little girl uh, in "All Dogs Go to Heaven." So, uh, along with that, he he praised her as being astonishing, uh, absolutely astonishing and said that she was so sophisticated for a kid her age in most acting situations. So, that is the story of Judith Barcy, in case you didn't know, who played Ducky in The Land Before Time. Like I said, there's a reason I didn't tell you what I was doing before I did it.
0: Yeah,
1: I hate you. I mean, look, unfortunately... There's not a lot of murders that have happy endings. And this one definitely didn't. Yeah, but I also hate
0: you because on a daily basis when I respond to you with yup, you respond back yup, yup, yup.
1: Well, that's because there's times that you respond to me like four or five times with nothing but yep, and it gets kind of annoying, I'm not going to lie. And so No,
0: you literally will do this when I respond to you once with yup.
1: Oh, you're not talking about where I send you gifts of Ducky saying, yep, yep, yep. You're talking about where I just respond, yep, yep, yep.
0: Yes.
1: Oh, no, you can tell when I'm... And sometimes I'm not even annoyed with you, I'm just annoyed in general. And I'll send you a GIF of Ducky going, yep, 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 standing on Spike's egg. And that's when I'm feeling really mean. But that is the uh, GIF that made me think of this murder that I sent to you the other day when I was in a bad mood.
0: Well, you need to cheer me up now because now I'm really sad.
1: Alright. Ooh, did you know that people at the turn of the century thought that the platypus was an imaginary animal that some doctor had stitched together and brought back to England from Australia?
0: Did you know that for a while people thought cheetahs were dogs because their claws don't retract?
1: Ah, that's cool. Did uh, do you know what country, or which continent cheetahs originally or Well, originated from. No. America. Or the Americas. Sorry. North America, to be exact. Mabel. Yep, and that's also the reason that cheetahs have such bad birth defects, because the same land bridge that brought people to North America. It seems that cheetahs traveled the opposite way, but due to two separate events, it looks like a large part of the population was uh, wiped out. And so they're forced to inbreed. And these two events are what led to the modern-day cheetah having so many birth defects.
0: Interesting.
1: Right, I thought you'd find that interesting. Ooh, another another interesting thing about Perry the platypus Uh, His claws are poisonous. Just wanted to throw that out there.
0: You need to watch the show uh, Milo Murphy's Law. What's it on? On Disney Plus. It's made by the same people who made Phineas and Ferb, and it is quite funny. Is it? Especially if you're going through...
1: Childhood cartoons right now. Huh. Well, you should watch Big Little Lies on HBO. Because that show is fantastic. And I can't get enough of it. I mean, I've already watched all the episodes. So I guess I can get enough. But it is an amazing suspense-filled show to where you never know what's going on till the end. And it's like, well, it's like a crime investigation but in flashbacks. So the whole time you're trying to figure out who died and most of the show, you're like, all these people deserve to die at one point or another. Or not all of them, but most of them. And then some of them don't deserve to die, but you're like, ah, oh, you're going to be the one, aren't you? Yeah. Yep. So... Oh, and the best part is, season two has Meryl Streep in it.
0: You are gay.
1: I love Meryl. And I also love Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman who are in it, because they're just fantastic. But, yeah, I am gay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I think that's it.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think we've had about all we can for the week. Uh, enough sadness, enough happiness. We hope that y'all have a great week and continue on. Uh, if y'all would like to find us anywhere else, you can find us on Twitter at Crime Creepy. Or
0: on Instagram at underscore, or at creepy underscore crime underscore podcast. Or you can email us at creepycrimepod at gmail.com
1: yeah we'd love to hear from you we love input guys uh so yeah if you want to talk to me or Allie we both manage the accounts ourselves so hit us up chat with us we love meeting new people some days
0: yeah maybe after next week
1: (laughs) oh well we hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode and have a wonderful day and we'll see you in two weeks yeah, in two weeks. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.